0: Welcome to the launch series of Speak Your Gut Out, Singapore podcast. You're with me, Sang Lee. So why this podcast, you may ask me. It's really born out of frustration in my own personal journey and discovery over the last few months, suffering from anxiety and gut health issues. In my own quest to learn more about gut health, I realised there's so much information out there, but not everybody knows about it. So I wanted to bridge this gap, given my background in healthcare communications. Honestly, it's quite nerve-wracking, as I'm not used to putting myself out there. I'm more used to writing narratives for other people to say. But my children really encourage me, and my friends as well. So shout out to all of them. In a way, 2020 has been such an exceptional year. It really forces me to go back to the basics and re examine all the roots of my problems in my gut. And I believe if I can spread this message to one more person, I would have achieved my mission. But fret not, I've got some help today. Joining me is Dr. Jeremy Lim. Jeremy, for those who don't know him, is quite an authority in the Asian healthcare space. So much so that he's a triple threat. A medical doctor trained in surgery, a public health scientist, and CEO of EMILY, the region's first microbiome bank and sequencing service based out of Singapore. Jeremy also teaches the Global Health System Reforms and Digital Health at the NUS School of Public Health, where he serves as the co-director of LIGHT, the Global Health Institute. His articles are featured regularly on scientific and mainstream media, most notably his book Myth of Magic, the Singapore Healthcare System. Jeremy sits on the advisory boards of several institutions from NUS to SMU, Fulbright Association and John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. He consults regularly for WHO and the World Bank. On top of that, he still makes time to volunteer in a number of NGOs including Dover Park Hospice, HealthServe, Tampines Meridian JC and Special Needs Trust Company. This is quite an impressive list, so I'm excited as you are to really welcome Dr. Jeremy Lim to my podcast and thank you for being my first guest. Maybe we can just spend a minute or so just to cover the basics about the gut microbiome. What is it actually? Yeah. All right. Yeah.
1: Maybe I should start with what we didn't think it was Mm. and 25 years ago when i was in Mm. medical school we were taught that there were these commensals or these microbes that were in our gut they didn't bother us we didn't bother them but they were unimportant Mm. and how much the science has 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 changed since then Mm. um and today we describe the gut microbiome as the forgotten organ Mm. and essentially the gut microbiome refers to the microbial ecosystem that lives within our gut and all of us have one um from a weight point of view it's roughly about one and a half to two kilograms which is quite subs- wow. substantial and more importantly there's incredible complexity just to give a, a flavor let's just take the number of genes the the human has about has twenty thousand genes the average gut microbiome can have as many as two million genes so the, the amount of really complexity is just, it's just bewildering. Mm-hmm. And I can empathize with my medical school professors 25 years ago wow. uh, when they taught us that the gut microbiome was unimportant because we just didn't have the tools to analyze them back then. Mm-hmm. Right? And today with advances in really genetic sequencing as well as advances in computing power, right? It's as if a whole new world has opened up we look at the gut microbiome with really fresh eyes and we are only now beginning to appreciate the complexity and just how much impact the gut microbiome has on really human health and various disease states, not just confined to the gastrointestinal system, but even through the brain-gut axis, what you have alluded to earlier around a lot of neurological um, um, really manifestations that we can talk about it. Mm. But suffice to say, the gut microbiome is a very, it's a very important part of what makes you you and what determines health as well as various disease states. Uh, we're at the beginning of a very exciting journey and and I'm very confident that in the years to come, we will discover more and more very valuable things and learn how to modify our gut microbiomes to optimise human health. Yeah,
0: that's interesting. So, um, with the advances in uh, technology and the medical science now. But there's, there are so many 100 trillion cells in the gut microbiome. Does does gut issue affect everybody then? You know, who who would be more susceptible to diseases like this?
1: Yeah. Well, I would say that all of us at different points do have some gut-related issues. Yeah. Uh, what we do find is that persons who do have um, a much more severe symptoms, say those with irritable bowel um, um, syndrome or those with inflammatory bowel disease. Um, what we do find is that there is a there is this system that's described as gut dysbiosis, mm-hmm. which really um, describes a this or an or an imbalance in the gut microbial. Um, um, these systems and and increasingly we are beginning to understand that it's this it's these perturbations or these this, or these disturbances in the equilibrium that are causing a lot of the symptoms mm. and the good thing is that um our gut microbiomes tend to have a lot of resilience meaning that on a on a day-to-day basis depending on what we eat the environment that we are exposed to the gut microbiome does it does tend to vary but it but it moves towards what our normal baseline state is um, and that's why even though we eat different foods every day, uh, the gut microbiome remains reasonably constant unless something dramatic happens. Okay. And what we find commonly um, in especially patients who have irritable bowel syndrome is that there is often a precipitating event and um, they were they had traveled to to a country they won't use the food or they had food poisoning and they had weeks of, of really intractable diarrhea they may have been treated with multiple causes of really antibiotics and then they would come and see us in the clinics and say doc you know since i went to this country and i had diarrhea when i came back to singapore for two weeks i lost three four kilograms and now it has settled down but i don't feel the same and And my gut just isn't what it used to be. And and we hear this very, very often. And, And increasingly, as the advances in gut microbiome sequencing progress, we are beginning to see differences, right? That people with irritable bowel syndrome that we used to almost cruelly as doctors dismiss as, oh, uh, it's all in your head. Don't worry about it. We cannot find anything wrong with you. You don't have cancer. The The endoscopy is normal. Just get on with it. Right? Now I think we can be much more sympathetic because we are finding that there are often microbial reasons why people have these symptoms that really they do. And it's a very exciting stage now that we understand the disease a lot better. Right. The question then is what can we do to change through changes in the diet, through supplementation with certain probiotics and
0: so on. So irritable irritable bowel uh, disease or syndrome, that would be the more classic case, like when you just described, right, people coming back from travel and are not used to the food and then antibiotic use sort of wipe out their um, gut microbiome. So, you know, what happens then when your good bacteria sort of is depleted? you did a look to diet change and all that you know what is the kind of prescription <laughs> you know most people well, will be given
1: well the, the 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 fortunate thing is that for most of us the gut microbiome eventually returns to how to our baseline state okay. and the symptoms clear up but for a proportion of many really patients uh, we need to go further and this further could be, a sustained change in change in diet or really supplementation with three or really probiotics okay. to help to restore that that you know, balance. And in extreme cases, doctors would even talk to patients about undergoing what they call a fecal microbiota transplant, okay. which is a which is a process where, where healthy where stool is taken from basically you know, healthy donors, it is mm-hmm. processed, and microbiome is then extracted and is then placed into the uh, really, recipient um, gastrointestinal system so that the the, the so called good bacteria can then be 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 recolonized and help to restore the gut's um, um, natural balance, right? And uh, and this in many countries is still on a clinical study basis, and hence I would not urge patients to rush out to their doctors to say, "I want this, uh, please." it within the context of a formal clinical study and by persons who have experience doing this.
0: right. Yeah, that's really interesting when I first read about this from from, from what you are doing. So Emily is the Asian microbiome library. Um, yeah before you go, you know, I ask you a little bit more about why you co-founded you know this uh, center. Um, I just want to cover the other population group, those people who do not have IBMs, you know just may, they, how can you tell? Based on what I described, my symptoms there nervous energy in the stomach. You know, by listening to my gut. You know, is there a test out there that's readily available? Um. Well, one can sequence
1: the the gut microbiome, mm. right? And yes, Emily also offer this. Uh, but we tend to offer this more for persons who have specific um uh, bowel symptoms or those who have very specific needs, like they have, like. Like for 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 example, they are really very health conscious. They understand uh, the uh, what the profiling can and what it cannot do. Right. And, and what we find is that it is no surprise. Um, even when I was in medical school, we knew there was this thing called the gut brain axis. We knew that there were that what happened in the gut um, influenced the brain and really vice versa. Today, we know much more. We know that a lot of the neurotransmitters, Mm -hmm. uh, these are the chemicals and other substances that affect uh, brain performance and and brain function, they are uh, produced or they're influenced by what happens in a person's gastrointestinal system. So this really colloquial saying that I've got a gut feeling Mm -hmm. is really uh, quite well grounded in science. yeah, and maybe if I can come back to gut microbiome sequencing, um, where uh, there are there are a number of providers globally um, that will sequence the gut microbiome and then offer um, recommendations on diet, uh, supplementation with the really probiotics and so on. Um, I would say that the science is relatively early, it's rapidly progressing, so we expect that Many of, the, of, of these tests will get better and better over time. Um, but something that we as Emily, the Asian Microbiome Library, do know that the gut microbiome is, is heavily influenced by the diet as well as the environment. Right? And therefore, it just didn't make sense that, that when we know that the gut microbiome is influenced by these factors, that we should be really basing clinical practice behaviors here in Asia on studies that are done in in the West on predominantly Caucasian populations. And hence we felt it was it was important that we in Asia needed to do our own research, find our own solutions.
0: Right. So so is that what prompted you to start Emily? And you know, how did you move from being a doctor to a public health, you know, to really zoom in into this? special area, yeah. No, oh, no,
1: that's a really interesting question. I would I would confess up front <laughs> that I'm the operations uh, strategy person within Emily mm-hmm. and it's my co-founders specifically Dr. David Ong and Dr. Jonathan mm-hmm. Lee who are gastroenterologists in the National University Hospital who are the who are the clinicians and the scientists who study the gut microbiome very very carefully mm-hmm. and and while Emily is a very young startup, we are barely over a year old. But our story really begins in 2014, right. where my co-founder David did the first dozen also gut microbiome transplants uh, in Singapore, the first in Singapore and around the region. However, after the initial success and the patients responded very very well, uh, the The momentum here in Singapore and in Southeast Asia more more broadly, to be very candid, faltered. And while the West was really making great, great strides with the human microbiome project and with lots of discovery, uh, the number of clinical studies, the attention of really researchers in this part of the world, uh, it was very, very modest. Mm. And so if you imagine that there are two curves, uh, the kind of western curve is going this way the southeast asian curve is going in the other is going in the other direction and and how emily came about was really that about two and a half years ago david and i were seated over dinner having a chat and he was sharing about what a pity it was for us here in singapore and in southeast asia that once upon a time we were we were quite advanced mm. and we had done microbiome transplants we had a program and then we basically let it slip right and over that dinner we then conceived the idea that maybe it was possible that we could do it outside of the university outside of the hospital system could we run faster right and so and i and i remember asking david uh, how much would it cost what would it take to set up a gut microbiome program right and as david described it uh, the other son, there was this one, there were a few others who at the, the dinners, we looked at each other and said, oh, it sounds possible, let's study this further. And so over about 12 months, we then attended conferences, we spoke to a lot of people, we checked in with the Ministry of Health on the regulatory positions and really so on. And then in you know, September last year, we announced to the, to the world at, the, at an innovation symposium that Emily was alive. Right. And over the last uh, 13 months, it's been one heck of a ride, getting everything set up. Right.
0: Thanks for sharing that story. I think it's very insightful. Were there any like funny uh, anecdotes or interesting things that you discovered in the last year, just setting up Emily? Uh, I think there are actually
1: two things. Uh, mm. One, I am very pleasantly surprised mm. at how generous Singaporeans are. Wow. Because we were very privileged to have been featured prominently by the by the Straits Times in a number of, of articles. Mm-hmm. And it really uh, warmed my heart that Singaporeans of all walks of life would, would, would call us and say, We are read about you. We want to help you in your mission to save lives and to harness the power of the gut microbiome to improve human health. Oh wow. So we yeah. So people step forward to be microbi to, to be stool donors, to be to be gut microbiome donors, and that's very, very encouraging. Mm-hmm. The the second thing that that I was quite taken and because I, I as I alluded to earlier, I'm not a career gut microbiome person. So the world so this is a world that's relatively new to me, two and a half, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been very taken by how well informed many Singapore residents are mm-hmm. about the gut microbiome, and in many conversations that I've had since, uh, it is really so striking. And especially people who have bowel uh, symptoms, those with inflammatory bowel disease, those with IBS, uh, they would they would engage us in a conversation. would we would cite to us specific papers and ask us what oh, wow. we thought of. Them. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's been one group that's actually to me has been very very um, um, challenging in this in the sense that we want to help them right? and this is the group of parents of children with autism spectrum disorder Autism. and, okay. yeah. and I've been very taken by the recent Um, academic work that's been published in top-tier journals like Nature and Cell about autism and its link to the gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. And and interestingly, in the last three months alone, I have have met parents who have brought their children to America, to Hong Kong and to other parts of of the world to undergo microbiome transplant or FMT to improve symptoms uh, really related to autism. Right. And and the reason why they keep sticking to this is because they see Im- they see the improvement, right? And, and here we're, we are then in this uh, kind of uh, really dilemma because because we have the FMT preparations we have these two banks that can that really can contribute to this, but we're not pediatricians we're not we're not developmental yeah. specialists our own core expertise. As in-house here in Emily is is really that in gastroenterology. So if patients come to us with inflammatory bowel disease or irritable bowel syndrome, well on top of it, we can work with their with their primary doctors to help care for them, or or through our non through our outside Emily capacities, we can we can even take over as their primary physicians, or if they don't have one, we can then become them. but but for but for children with. With autism and has spoken to many of the parents, it is very, very challenging because we have the FMT preparations, but we have no clinical expertise in this in this particular domain.
0: Right. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. So just maybe diving deeper into um, the fecal matter, <laughs> what sort of You yes. right? do you collect? And what are, sort of, how do you screen out the good versus the bad in terms of donors? Ah, okay.
1: Yes, all right. Uh, what we do is, it is a very rigorous process. Um, overall, our own statistics mirror the global data, which is roughly two in a hundred potential donors eventually are eligible. Oh, and two percent wow! It's a very, very high hurdle rate, yes. and this is really because um, many of us only think that we are healthy. So, in, as part of the routine assessment, um, all potential donors would undergo a very rigorous clinical questionnaire about their past medical history, medicines, pre-existing conditions. They would all be interviewed by us, by, by, by one of the doctors within Amelie, and after they have been certified fit to go on to the next stage, we then screen their blood as well as their stool for the presence of any diseases and whether they are carriers of any infections. And this could be in the blood, and this could be in the, this could be in the, in the stool. And the reason why the 100 uh, funnels down to only 2 is because it's not surprising to find persons who have raised blood glucose or, or raised mm-hmm. lipid levels um, during screening. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, when we, when we screen for the presence of any infectious agents, uh, we do find Singaporeans uh, who are carrying uh, drug drug resistant uh, microbes in their gut, like enteropathic uh, e, e. coli, which which for them doesn't cause any difficulties because they are healthy. Mm-hmm. But the danger and the reason why they they are not eligible to be donors is that this is that these drug resistant microbes uh, in an immune compromised person can cause a lot of. Um, uh, really potential complications because the immune system may not be able to mount a sufficiently robust response and therefore these persons are not safe to be donors. Right. And and, yeah, and 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 I would love to say that we thought of the protocols ourselves but we didn't. What we did was to look at the European guidelines, the North American guidelines and we then asked ourselves what are the most stringent in each of these and yeah. then, we, then we took them and applied them as
0: the criteria for how own student bank here in Singapore, right? Um, yeah, I guess you know how. So it's a very painstaking process, right? And the throughput rate is very low. So you know, in okay. terms of how how extensive you know is the data in that you have collected, Emily, and also are there any differences between ethnicities? You know, in Singapore being multi-racial.
1: Yes, okay. Uh, those are very good questions. Uh, it is not painful, okay, uh, motion is not painful, but it's painstaking because we have to screen a lot of people to find eligible donors. Secondly, uh, when these in, when these generous individuals go on to become uh, FMT donors, uh, we do need to obtain the entire um, um, poop uh, fresh which then means that they need to poop into a, a specific container and they then contact us. We then manage the, the really transport system so wow. that the poop comes uh, comes to us from really their home in the shortest possible time because okay. what we want to do is to be able to extract the, the microbiome under optimal conditions. And so the really time element becomes important. And that ironically is... Uh, uh, make Singapore a very ideal place to do microbiome research because we're small and compact, with, with 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 good transportation networks. So so quite and as silly as it sounds, we get very high quality stool here in here in Singapore, because really because of these uh, factors. So, and in terms of the donors, what we have done because we are not only building up the stool bank, we're also building up. A library of, of, of Asian microbiome profiles. So, I had mentioned to you that only 2% of all the potential donors will be eligible. The other 98%, we asked them, Would you like to help us to build the library so that we know what a normal Asian microbiome looks like? So that when we know normal, we can then be much clearer as to what abnormal is ah. and why it is normal. And so, in this respect, we have, been, we have been very privileged, so we have, we have built up a very good-sized collection across the different ethnic groups of, of the so-called um, reference population of LT Asian microbiome profiles. And are we seeing ethnic differences? Um, we are still analysing the data. Uh, the data is complex to analyze. a signal microbiome is about one terabyte worth of data, multiply that by lots and lots of samples, and we have a lot of data to analyze. Um, but it's very clear that there are differences because of diets, because of the environment. and we do see that many that, that some diseases such as inflammatory bowel disease, uh, there are different rates between Chinese and Indians and many really Caucasians. So, So yes, I am sure that we will find lots of interesting uh, observations and as the science progresses, as the analytical tools get more and more sophisticated, we will discover more and more.
0: Wow, that's very interesting to know. I think I learned a lot just by listening to you today. Yeah, so Jeremy, just to wrap up our session, um, you know, speak speak your gut out. In the name itself, this podcast is really to encourage people to pay attention to their gut. Is that one thing? And maybe just wear back your public health scientist and your uh, medical doctor hats. What advice would you give people to really pay more attention to?
1: Well, what is very very uh, convincing and widely known and accepted is that a more diverse gut microbiome Mm -hmm. is a healthier microbiome, and we do know that that individuals who eat a wide variety of Of foods tend to have more diverse microbiomes. So, uh, speak your gut out. I would say don't eat the same thing every single day. Uh, Have as much variety as you can because variety is the spice of of life, Mm. not just for our experiences, not just for ourselves, but also for the microbes that live within us. Well
0: said. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you, and thank you. thank you very much for having me on this on this program. And good luck and all
0: the best. Thank you so much, Jeremy. So I will also ask you to nominate one person that I can connect with you uh, with after this podcast. And you know, in this yes. world, first I call it a merry-go-round podcast to you know connect yes. more people, right. well, uh, like-minded yes. people who want to spread this message on God help. And thank you for so much, Jeremy. I think people can reach you on LinkedIn if they want to and yes. learn more about what Emily emily's work and what you're doing thank you so much for your time today
1: okay
0: all right thank you